Ignition. Let's start. Just on the open lane. Big Bible. And we can start. All right. How about we begin with prayer? Father, we come before you. Lord, you are a God worthy of praises and honor and glory and worship. What a great privilege we have to stand before your throne, to come together from people from nation, every nation, different different nation and tongue, Lord God, and, and different color. Father, that you would have called us before the foundation of the world, rather chose us before the foundation of the world, and called us, Lord God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may become a people, the people of God. And today we pray that you will open our ears to hear your word and our hearts to receive it, that we may be encouraged and challenged, Lord God, in what your word has to say to us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Please, if you've got your Bibles, and I pray you do have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. As we left off last time, Philippians chapter 1, in verse 26, and we spoke about from verse 21 to 26, how for Paul to live was Christ and to die was gain. And we spoke how that was Paul's life and how it affected us. And, and we spoke about also how he said there was, he was lingering for the body of Christ and, and all that Paul will do will be for the glory of Christ. Today, we're looking at verse chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. However, there was so much richness in one of these verses that um, we will only look at one verse today, but we'll read verse 27 to 30 together so we can, we can get the, the picture of what Paul is saying here. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come or see you will remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by opponents, your opponents, which is a sign of destruction to them, but of salvation to you. And that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict you saw in me and now here be in me. This whole portion here is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is about the gospel. And when we think gospel, when, when we think about the gospel, what's it not to love about the gospel? When we think about Christ, a God who became man, the word of God dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and full of truth. He is the lamb of God. He was the sacrifice for our sins. What's there not to love about the gospel? The gospel of Christ when, when we acknowledge the bleeding lamb of God who fulfilled the Father's will, who chose us before the foundation of the world and yet came on earth so that we may be called the sons of God and the daughters of God. But is that all the gospel is for? that we just remember our salvation and live our lives the way we want. When saving grace was first birthed some five odd years ago, 
some people came to the elders and they said they couldn't join this church because they preached the gospel too much. Right? I mean, you might be amazed at that. Why do you think some people would have said that? Well, it is because of that misunderstanding that the gospel is only for unbelievers. The gospel is only given to those so they can come to saving faith. <clears throat> and we no longer need to be reminded of the blood of the Lamb. How on earth can we possibly grow apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ? There is no other way. The Apostle Paul says that, that he's not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation who saves the Jews and the Greeks. But that same power, that same gospel is the same power that drives believers to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And because of this misunderstanding, and you've heard me say this before, and I think it's fitting for this sermon, <clears throat> that some Christians will say, well, Christianity is set apart from all religion because it's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Now, there is truth in that God is relational. And when you're born again, you have a relationship with God. Right? But see, what happens is, if that's the gospel that we're proclaiming only, that is just relational, and we don't explain what that relationship looks like, we are going to have, as we heard last week, sleepy Christians who say they are born again, who say they are Christians or have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's as far as it goes. So come to Jesus. He wants to have a relationship. As if somehow God needs you. You need God. We need God every single hour. And so the question remains for us, when Paul says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. <clears throat> How are you conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel? How is your life lived out according to the gospel? How is your relationship with Jesus that you proclaim to have lived out? How is that manifested in your life? We often think about that God and we talk about the grace of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, make sure that everything I say this morning, it is filtered through the grace of God. But that grace of God is meant to lead us to live holy, not to, leave, to lead us to live unholy, apart from God. It matters to God how we live our lives. And it ought to matter to us as believers to reflect the gospel truth in our lives. Unfortunately, as believers, we still have this unredeeming flesh that clings to us and it annoys us and it's selfish and it wants its own things and only cares about itself and only cares of what it wants for. What can I eat? What job can I get? Where can I go? Where do my sons go to school and my daughters? Can I be served? How am I going to prosper? That's the, that's the redeeming flesh in the Christian, and, and we work continuously and aimless, aimlessly for temporal things that are fading away, and we are forgetting what's laying ahead, who we are in Christ, that we're called the bride of Christ, and we're meant to live for Christ. 
Instead, we're more concerned about building our house, painting the house, upgrading the house, changing the house, put a nice car into the house, a nice couch, a nice TV, a nice kitchen, and we're forgetting God's house. If you say this is not me, I will say one or two things. You're not saved or you're saved and you've got lots of problems. We have a flesh that clings to us and we need to be able to deal with it. We need to examine ourselves how we're living our lives. And that's not an excuse though to stay lazy. It's not an excuse to say, well, my flesh made me do it. That's what our kids will say, right? It wasn't me. It was the other guy. I mean, that's what Adam did and Eve did. <clears throat> now we take charge of that. For those of you who have been following Philippians, Paul wrote to the Philippians to remember the very thing that he himself, in his own life, he desired to do nothing but to magnify Jesus Christ and the gospel. And his desire through that was revealed in his passion for church unity and for the joy of the church. Paul is a perfect example to reveal to us when we say uh, it, we don't believe in a religion, we believe in Jesus as a relationship. Let us not say we have a relationship with Jesus and never live relationally with him. At best of times in Christendom, and people will say, "Well, no, it's not a religion. It's Christ- you know, Christianity is is is, is a, just a relationship with Jesus." And yet they live as if Jesus was their one night stand. They met him once, and they said they were saved, and for the rest of their lives they lived ungodly apart from him. Paul, who's saying to these Christians and this church that he himself will live will die, he will do anything for the gospel. Paul was in fellowship with this church because of the gospel. They were partakers together in the defense of the gospel. Paul was in prison because of the gospel. And because of the gospel, Paul was appointed. Paul, as we studied before, was a hard worker for the gospel. Paul was beaten and left for dead for the gospel. You want to know what it means to live a godly life? You live for the gospel. You want to know what it means to live the gospel? Look at the Apostle Paul. He was shipwrecked for the gospel, in continuous dangers for the gospel, facing hardship even amongst the brethren because of the gospel. Paul, whose care is for Christ and the bride in his passage, he begins to expose to say, I am not so much worried even about my well-being. I leave that in the hands of God, but my concern, are you living holy? My concern, are you living up to the standards of what you're proclaiming as a Christian? Are you living in a manner worthy of the gospel through the body of Christ? Paul, it doesn't really matter, as you will see in these few verses. Whether I come or not, it doesn't matter. I want to hear one thing. That you're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. When we acknowledge the truth of God, and everyone who is born of God, 
the gospel of salvation is not something that we barely believe or merely believe at the time of our salvation and we call that relationship and then we tuck it away for safekeeping and we only bring up the gospel of Jesus Christ when I feel sad and I feel broken and I feel really like, and Jesus just comes out as a genie to you and all you remember is a prayer that you did and we call that a relationship. For some of you who are married, Men, do that with your wives and see how far you get. And you say you have a relationship with your wife and you only talk to her when you want something or you need something. The power of God unto salvation to everyone is to believe is the gospel. It is the same power that causes the believers to live out the gospel and to do so together. I'll just read this again so we can get our head around it before I actually start with our sermon this morning. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving together. This is the true meaning of together for the gospel. Okay? It is a local togetherness. As we looked at last time, brothers and sisters, that Christ is a purpose-driven life. If you remember that, I thought according to these verses, maybe it would be fitting, and I'll call this sermon in two parts, the bride and the gospel-living life. This is the bride and the gospel-living life. So we have two points, but I will touch on one for today. And it will be a call for gospel living. A call for gospel living. So look at verse 27 with me again, please. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only conduct yourselves. I mean, Paul could have said anything. Conduct yourself in in love. Conduct yourself in service. Conduct yourself in this or in that. But Paul makes this huge statement and says, conduct yourselves in this. By the way, when Paul wrote to Titus, he hears something for us to think about, about the grace of God. He says the grace of God, that is the gospel, appeared bringing salvation to all men. You know why? Instructing us, that is the church, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly and righteously and godly in his present age. This is a massive call. This is a huge call for anyone who is claiming to be a child of God. And so Paul begins to say, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. As Paul has said before, His desire was to see the church with the affections of Christ. He had these personal convictions that Christ will leave him there so he can be with the people of God. But yet here what we see Paul saying above my fellowship, my freedom, even me coming to see you and impart to you some godliness. Whether I come to you or not, the only crucial and important thing 
For me, I want to hear that you're conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. I want to hear above all things that you're becoming more holy, uh, more blameless in, in, and, and, and more pure in this impure world. And you're living out the gospel truth. In chapter 2, verse 15 of Philippians, later on, Paul says, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Don't you think this is a massive calling for believers? We are meant to be that light in the world. And Paul says, only conduct yourselves. Now let me break down this for you. Conduct is in the present tense. That means it is continuous. You are to continue to do this when? Every year, every month, every week, every hour, every minute, every second of the day, you are meant to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? That means that we don't just become holy when we walk through those doors. We don't just become holy when John's around because John has his Bible with him. Oh, God bless you, brother. And we don't just become holy when the pastor's around and we have this halo around our neck and we, and we act all holy. No, this means you're not just holy on Sunday morning service and Sunday evening service and Friday nights at the Pucci's or at the Sidham's or at Wasam's or whoever. Not on Wednesday, not only, not on Tuesday. That means all the time it's amazing how we can easily just skip a verse or skip a verb and it goes deeper than that because the spirit of god knowing what we must hear this verb is in the middle voice do you know what that means it means you personally must act you must do it it is up to you to take actions. There is no sitting around and waiting for your brothers to do it for you or for God himself to do it for you. You must act yourself. Sure, the brothers and sisters, we are here together 100%. We must do this together and we encourage one another and we counsel and counsel and counsel. But the one who is counseling you, he's not going to do it for you. You must take action and you must live in a manner worthy of the gospel. It means that you take full responsibility. This is what Paul is saying. Take charge. Take responsibility for every individual in a church. Every single person must take responsibility. The third thing is that this verb, it's an imperative. It is a command. That means you have no suggestions about this, no options. God is commanding us that we continue and work it out ourselves because He commands that. It's a command from God to be holy, not from Paul. This is a divine command. And the last thing that we will see here, it's actually. A plural world, word. It's plural. That means that it's for every believer. Every single believer 
in every place, in every country. The, the guys at the back of the mixer over there, it's for you if you're claiming to be Christians. The people at the front, it's for them who are claiming to be Christians. The old lady who, who washes the dishes and blesses us every week and, and the young ladies who bless, bless us, the elders and the deacons and everyone who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. This is really full on, right? Are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. In fact, Paul says, only. That means this one thing, if there's anything else, one thing that you must do, this is exclusive. You must live out your Christian life according to the gospel. There is no, no other options. Every Christian must conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whether you're young, whether you're older, whether you're younger like me, or very old. I don't know who was very old in here, but I won't say the names. We are all called to live worthy. Worthy of the gospel, which means you are living in a way that is elevating the one who is worth it. And that means that you're living in a way that is fitting to the one who is worth it. Jesus Christ is that one who is worth it. Jesus is worthy. I think it was George Whitfield who said this. He's either worthy of all or he's worth nothing. We either give Christ everything or we give him nothing. We don't give Jesus breadcrumbs. We take those breadcrumbs from him because they're our goal. He is worthy. Now that word there in Greek, I won't even try to pronounce it, but that word conduct comes from the root word, I think it, I'll probably be told off by Samuel later. It's bolis, which is city. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it means city. That means that the Apostle Paul is saying, conduct yourselves, saying this, as a citizen. It speaks of citizenship. Somewhere where you live, somewhere where you belong. Does that make sense? Somewhere where you are actually accustomed to. In actual fact, that word, if you read it the way other people read it, polis, this is actually where we get the word politics. We get the word in English, politics, from this, which means it gives us the idea to live as citizens under that city on whatever it's commanding to do. Now, what Paul had in mind here was not so much that they ought to live as citizens under the Roman colony the way the Romans were living. No, what Paul had in mind here, it was that they were living in that city but they will ought to live as heavenly citizens. They ought to live as heavenly citizens. And later on, and, and not so much get caught up with the political affairs of the world, <clears throat> but for those of heaven. In chapter 3, verse 20 of Philippians, later on, Paul says, for our citizenship, that's the same root word, our citizenship, in which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ is where? Heaven. 
our citizenship is in heaven. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul also wrote, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. So think about that. When Paul is saying, live this way, he's saying, live as citizens of heaven. Conduct yourselves means reflect your citizenship where you belong. And if you belong to Christ, you will live out as if you are living right now with him in heaven. <clears throat> and when Paul, by the way, wrote to this church who was under the Roman colony, they would have known and they would have understood what it meant to, to be a citizen of that city, seeing that they were living there and what they were like. They took pride in their citizenship. You know, they took pride and loved their citizen. Ship. They served in that city. They were subordinate to the rules of that city. They devoted themselves to the ways of the city and to Caesar, who was the ruler. And what Paul is saying to the Philippians here, do not live like them. Your obligation as a citizen of heaven is not of this world. Live the way you ought to live. Live according to to the word of God that you have received. And your submission and the way you live ought not to be for this city and for their king, Caesar, but it ought to be for heaven and the King Jesus. Roman culture was driven by power, by greed, worldly pleasures, sex, people's opinion, all political stuff. Not much different today, right? And here's Paul. He's saying, you're a citizen of heaven. Conduct yourselves that way. Live that way. Also, Paul, I'll give you one more verse in Colossians 4, 5 says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your opportunity. We need to understand this, brethren. If we are claiming to have a relationship with God, listen, here's a problem. I was talking to Brother Wes this week how strong and how strict, how God used mighty men of the past, the Puritans. And we, we see how strict they were with the Word of God and, and encouraging believers to live out their lives that if they didn't fellowship properly or, or perhaps they didn't train their kids the way they were, they, they were looked at strangely and perhaps be excommunicated because maybe they were not saved. Today, we want to live and say we have a Christian, uh, we have Christ and we believe Jesus and I have a relationship with Jesus and become completely lawless. And we end up living just the way the Romans were living. And that's why Paul is warning them. Paul is warning them. Don't be like them. Don't do what they do. Instead, I say I have a relationship with Jesus and I have an ungodly job. Uh, I hang around with ungodly friends. <laughs> you name it. Just because I have a relationship with Jesus, I would actually say examine Please, I beg of you, what kind of a relationship is that? 
If I say I love Christ and yet in my life I love everything else. Paul wrote to the Colossians. He said this in chapter 1, 13 to 14. He rescued us, that is Christ, from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. We are not meant to live in the world of darkness. We're not meant to blend in with the world. Christ, who is the head of the church, the owner of the city, Christ himself calls us to follow in his footsteps. We're not meant to just say, I have a relationship with Jesus and I have a heavenly abode waiting and that's it. That's it. That's, that's my salvation. I'm walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Just, you know, you do it your way and I'll do it my way. It's not my way or your way. It's God's way. And here where we can use it's God's way or the highway. In Hebrews, if you turn to Hebrews, let me share with you this heavenly abode, this city in which belongs to the believers. In chapter 11, and you will see what Abraham says, chapter 11, verse 8 to 10. By faith, when he was called, that is Abraham, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, uh, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You see, let me just stop right there. Here's what's wrong with us. The only thing that we know is something that is tangible, something that we see, something that we touch. That is our problem. We don't think spiritual enough. And he says here, uh, verse 9, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Why? For he was looking for the city which has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. <laughs> right? And verse 16 of, of Hebrews says, But as it is, they, that's all the other believers, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Did you get that? God is preparing a city for us. Believers are not meant to be attached to the affairs of this world. We are meant to live as Abraham lived, just pack up and go. Go where God sends you. Be ready because God is the one who is preparing a city for us. We forget that, don't we? We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that we're going to a final destination where God is the architect, where God will be dwelling with men, with the believers. The problem is as we are making our way to that celestial city, we, as we're making our way there, we perhaps stop in one city and another city to... We're supposed to refresh ourselves and we're supposed to run the race even further. However, sometimes we get stuck there. 
And we get comfortable there. And we start to build our own little city here on earth. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Your destination is heaven. Your city is not of this world. Don't get caught up with the things of this world. But unfortunately, there are many who are claiming the name of Christ and yet live in this world just like unbelievers. The Apostle Peter had something to say about this. First Peter 2, 11 to 12, he says, Beloved, my brethren, the ones I love, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. Why? Which wages war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles. We cannot do this if our mind and our desires and our affections and our eyes and our ears are upon this city. I'm not just saying Melbourne. I'm saying earth. We cannot do this if our focus is not heavenward. Jesus says, where I'll go, I'll go and prepare a place for you. And we all say, amen. Then let us live that way. Let us live with, with urgency. We have one life, one life to be Christians. And we want Jesus who was awaiting for us to welcome us in, as we even heard last week, come in, good and faithful servant. What do you want to hear from Jesus? I liked your Facebook page. It's really good. I've seen your political page. You really got into politics. I've seen the way you are actually building your uh, web page about your own business. That's not what Jesus is going to look at. And that's not what you should be looking at. You should be aiming for Christ to be exalted, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. There is no other gospel and there is no other way for us to live. The one who believes the gospel lives the gospel and the one who lives the gospel proves that he actually believes the gospel. If there is no Christian living, there is no Christian desire, there is no kingdom desire, no heavenly city desire, then who are we following? Who, whom do we love? Where is our hope? Where, who is our king? And what kind of relationship do we have? And what witness are we actually proclaiming to the world? Citizens love the king of that city. They love the king of that city. They love and honor the king of that city. They follow the king of that city. They worship the king of that city. They are zealous for the king of that city. They love to obey him so much that it hurts them when someone disobeys him. They love that king because that king's name is Jesus. They love him. And here the apostle Paul says, live 
in a manner worthy of the gospel. Look at verse 27 again. Only conduct yourselves, and he takes a little bit further, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see and see you or remain absent, if I'm there or I'm not there, whether I come or not, you know I've been in prison, I've been shipwrecked, everything has happened to me, I have an affection for you, I desire to be with you, I want to have fellowship with you, I pray that you grow in wisdom, in love, in togetherness. Pray for me, for my imprisonment, conduct yourselves. But you know what? Whether I'm there or not, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? Don't wait for me. Don't wait for me. Sometimes, yes, your leaders are meant to lead you to steal waters. Your leaders, your elders in this church, their desire is that you drink fully from the well of life of Jesus Christ and be satisfied in Him alone that you may work, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. But if your elders die or stay, it doesn't matter. You are called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You are not meant to impress Paul. You're not meant to impress Wes or Ralph. You're meant to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel because Jesus Christ is worthy. Paul says, doesn't matter whether I come or not, you do it, with or without me. And why? Because it's not Paul that you need to give an account to. It's God. It's not your elders of this church that you must give an account to, although they are your under-shepherds. Yes, they're accountable for you. But you have a responsibility to do it on your own. You are responsible for that. The elders cannot do that for you. I can't think of one sermon that hasn't come from this, from this pulpit. Only the time perhaps we'll do in church life with Brother Wes but even then, I can't remember a time that we have not called people to repentance. Or we have told you that Christ is worthy. Or that Jesus, the blood of the, the Son of God, cleanses you from all sin. Or that you need Him. And drink from Him. Enjoy Him. But you must do that. You must do that. Next time, we'll look at a little bit more of that unity. But I want to give you some stuff to think about. Let me begin with this. The church of Jesus Christ, who is called with a holy calling. Now, when I say the church of Jesus, please, brethren, I'm talking about only believers, not those who are here and not Christians. And those who want to belong to that local church. They are called with a holy calling from the Almighty God to enter into their wonderful and personal relationship with Jesus, being adopted in the family and heirs with Christ and citizens of that kingdom. But we are meant to have an impact in this world for the gospel of Christ, in being witnesses for the glory 
of Christ in this darkened world by living as citizens of heaven, shining in this world. The greatest tragedy, as Paul is even warning them in the church, is not so much that the church of Jesus is having an impact in the world, but that the church of Christ has been infected with the disease and the filth of the world. And we just carry around the banner of Christianity. We just carry around Jesus on our headband. But yet, the way we live, we live just like the world. We are meant to be the mouth and the feet of Christ to bring the good news. We are meant to stand apart from the world. We are meant to show the immoral world, the morality of Christ in our lives as we live citizens of heaven to show them the perfect and moral God that they may be saved. But when it says to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, please don't forget that this is not just talking outside, this is talking to one another. And I'll get to that in a minute. Now you've heard the saying, I was saying to this brother Wes before, you know, if it smells like an apple, looks like an apple, tastes like an apple, then it must be an apple. I'm going to leave it up to you if it's an apple or not, okay? We're not even going to get into that, to that issue. But here's another one. What if we took John, 1 John, I'm just going to read it to you. Then I have to turn there. Chapter 2, verse 15, 17. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away and all also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Maybe we can insert our own. If you look like the world and you dress like the world, you do the things of the world, maybe you're off the world. Maybe you're not a Christian. But if you look like Christ, that means you behave like Him. You dress like Christ. You're clothing yourself in His righteousness, not just for salvation, but in your life. You talk like Christ. You speak heavenly things. You want to make Jesus known to the brethren and to the lost world. You speak heavenly things. You do the things of Christ. Then guess what? You're a citizen of the holy God. You're a citizen of Christ in heaven, and you don't belong into this world. But for those of you who have not come to save in faith, and maybe you're a false convert, or maybe you're not even sure yet, let me tell you something now. I'll say this first. Enjoy your life. Enjoy it. Really, enjoy your sin. If you think that's joy, because it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. I plead with you. That was sarcasm. That you turn from that and you flee to Jesus Christ. That he may make you a citizen of heaven. That you will look forward to the things above where Christ is seated. 
that you don't get tangled up and stay in this world and somehow thinking building your home and doing this and doing that is going to last forever. I know many people, some people, some close to me who went on holidays and never came back. It's not a joke. You think you've got it all together. Don't be fooled. Those of you who have claimed Christ and are living in an unworldly manner, in an ungodly manner, why do you say that you're a Christian? If your desire is not to be in the midst of God's people, to love Christ, to study Christ, to talk about Christ, to walk in His statutes, to do what Christ wants, why? Are you saying, I am a Christian? And if you're saying, but maybe I'm in sin, then repent and turn and be like the Apostle Peter. Because when Peter repented, he was sold out for Jesus. Repentance, true repentance from sin is meant to lead you to live a holy life. Believers, listen, we have obstacles. That is the flesh, but that's not an excuse for us to stay the way we are. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, every hindrance, and sin, which so easily entangles us. And let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. Is your work stopping you from living as a citizen, as you have heard only today in this one little verse, as living your life for Christ? I don't know how to do this. Change your job. Get another job. Just, it's simple math. Are you saying that Jesus is not worthy for you to leave that job and have another job? I'll, I'll leave that up to you between you and God. Because if your job is a hindrance to you, I am not saying be unfaithful to your family, none of that. That was never going to come from my mouth. But is Jesus not worthy you living for? even if your family has to eat less and your brothers help you to feed your family? If your care in this world is perhaps to overindulge, do something about it. Don't let it run your life. If your home is stopping you, from living that life that you're supposed to be living as a citizen. Change your home. Sell it. Buy another one. Rent. You're not taking it with you. I'm not sure. How... We don't take anything with us. Nothing belongs to us. This fancy shirt that no one likes. No, it's not going with me. If your child and at school and your home school, doesn't matter what it is. It's affecting you. Do something about it. If there is sin in your life that is stopping you from living that life as a citizen of heaven, then you know what? Get help. 
get help. How can we do this? How can we live this life this way? It is through the gospel of Christ. It is through the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Be reminded of what Christ has done. Drink from the well of life. Remember the studies that you've done with Wes for years. The pipe you take from Jesus and you the inlet and the outlet. That's exactly what that means. That means you preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Remember his promises, his mercy and his grace. And that is your fuel to live holy and blameless in his perverse and crooked generation. And of course, this you do together with the people of God. So how do we put this to practice? Let me give you some stuff. How do we, how, what does it look like? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. You don't have to turn there. You can read it later for yourself. It calls us to walk in unity. A citizen of heaven, he walks in unity, not by himself. That's a stranger. Still, maybe to the covenant of God, but he's not walking together. You walk in humility, in gentleness, with patience. I know a lot of you are growing in patience, especially my sister over here, just with Ralph. Endurance. Citizens of heaven love one another. You find all that in Ephesians. You persevere in unity. You're peaceful. You become more useful in building up the body of Christ with your giftedness. Ephesians 4 will speak about walking in holiness. Not living like the Gentiles. Not living like the Romans. Not blending into the world. That is the problem with Christianity. Let me tell you, someone says to you, man, I didn't know you were a Christian. I would examine why he doesn't know you're a Christian. I've known him for two years. He didn't know I was a Christian. Something is wrong. If someone doesn't know that you're a Christian, you've known him for two years. You are supposed to live as new creatures in Christ. Speak the truth in love. That's what a citizen of heaven looks like. And not giving the devil an opportunity. You're generous. You edify one another. You do not grieve the spirit of God. A citizen of heaven, this is a big one for you, ladies and gentlemen, is a forgiving person. Does not hold a grudge. A citizen of heaven is a forgiving person. We are called to imitate God. Walk in love. How do you do that? You actively and sacrificially love the brethren and serve them. God bless Brother Wes. Every time he says it, part of me says, Man, I've heard this a million times and and that is my selfishness. And the other one of me says, I haven't heard it enough. Because my selfishness says, I do know this, but I don't do it enough. I must put that practice, uh, love to practice, sacrificially. 
Walk in purity. Ephesians chapter 5. Not impure, not immoral, not greedy, no filthy talk. Not even amongst those who claim to be Christians. Don't have partakers with the fruits of darkness. Walk in light. Be that light of the world, bearing fruits of righteousness. Seek the will of God. This is what a, a citizen looks like. Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Be filled with the Spirit. Sing songs. Be at home. Just put a hymn on. Praise God. Cry out to Him. Pray to Him. Read the Bible. Preach the Bible. Teach the Bible. And live the Bible. And be ready to fight. Because you're fighting a spiritual battle. Be ready to fight. Because your flesh is still clinging to you. That old man, that dead carcass is clinging to you. How do you fight it? Clothe yourself with righteousness. With the word of God. With the gospel peace. Know your salvation. Know Christ. This is a call for gospel living, brothers and sisters. And we need to take that seriously. I pray that God has spoken to you as he has with me in studying this. And Lord willing, next time we'll look at the qualities a little bit more of the bride of life and how they do that together. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. Father, Oh, Lord, we see ourselves as such unworthy people. People who are forever going astray and running, Lord God, in the wrong direction. But what a God we have. What a God we have that you would show us truth, that we are citizens of heaven, that we belong to Christ, that our citizenship is not of this world, not to be entangled to the things of this world, to think of the things above, that we may live, Lord God, the life that you've called us to live with one another and with the world outside, that we will be that light that shines on the hill, Lord. We beg of you, Father, that you will keep on stirring our hearts individually as we've seen today. And we all call, Lord God, to obey your command to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. For there is no other way for us to live for it's only by your grace that we can do anything. For apart from you, we can do nothing. So help us, Lord God. Help us to not, to not to allow Satan to snatch away, Lord God, the seeds that have been sown this morning. But they will fall on good ground and will bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100. And all for your glory. Amen.